0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast, an entertaining fresh take on the three-time NBA champs, the Detroit Pistons. Hey Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Motor City Hoops. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Cavaliers Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs... Daily Thunder, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break, plus our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, The CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Features and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, The Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host Jason Sunkel. Featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots, to the NBA. Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com/teampricing to learn more. That's a r y s e.com.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Motor City Hoop Show. On today's show, our guest, Richard Stamen and I will give our biggest takeaways from last week's games versus Cleveland, Dallas, San Antonio, and Indiana. During the three one three, we will talk, take a look into some very interesting and less talked about Pistons draft day scenarios and get Richard's thoughts on the most polarizing Piston, Sekou Dembuya. We will finish today's episode going around the NBA to talk about the future of the Magic, Steph Curry's magical run, and the real contenders in each conference. I'd like to start off by welp- welcoming our guest, Richard Stamen from Ra- Mavs Draft Podcast and Locked On NBA Draft. Welcome, Richard. We've been talking about this a lot. I look forward to having you on for a while now, and I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, I'm really excited
2: to be here. I know we found each other through Twitter search, and uh, here we are, so I'm very excited.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I was just talking to a friend of mine, a fellow coach, and I was kind of talking about the podcast and all that. And I was like, yeah, we're having a guest on today. We've never actually met or, or talked other than than just through Twitter. So it's kind of funny how these things work out. So I, I really appreciate it, man.
2: Yeah, no, I'm grateful for y'all having me on here.
1: So um, how we do this, Richard, is, is we usually just take a little bit of a quick recap of the last week's games. Um, and so we started off the week with a, the Pistons started off the week with a 109-105 win over the Cavaliers, and we just give a quick takeaway, so, so I'll just, I'll give you my quick takeaway from this game, it was kind of the, the youth movement game, we rested all of our vets, all the young guys, the rookies got to start and play, and it was a fun game to start, and, and I just thought Killian Hayes um, played the game with a lot of confidence, and, and I like to use the term swagger, it was kind of the first time i felt like where we kind of saw his personality come out and it was just a fun start to the game as the sadiq bay shot the ball extremely well and killian hayes was was playing with a lot of confidence curious to see what you kind of thought about that game
2: yeah uh so i mean this is the you're asking about the cleveland one correct
1: yeah yes yeah so
2: starting over there uh so i did watch this one there was a lot of efficiency i mean just as a team, outside of, if you take away, I'm looking through the box score again, Hamadou Diallo pretty much was the one guy who wasn't yep. that efficient. But everyone yes. else was just, the whole starting five was clicking. Um, and it was just a promising sign. I mean, even Tyler Cook was going off. Like he had himself a nice game. And per usual, this isn't even really noteworthy anymore, but Sadiq Bay with a casual 20. <laughs> um, I, I really love what the Pistons got in Sadiq Bay. And admittedly, I was a little bit low on him in draft, uh, come okay. draft time. I didn't think... He would be this good for i really thought he was better for a team like the celtics than the okay. pistons but i've been horribly wrong
1: yeah so uh, I, and obviously you're a draft guy so let's dive into this just a little bit because we won't have talk a whole lot of sadiq bay we're, we're going to be talking future whenever we get to the 313 so what was kind of your opinion or your view on sadiq bay as he was coming into the league this last year
2: Yeah. I thought his entire ranking was situational based, right? Like there were some situations where he was bad, some where he was good for, and Detroit was like a neutral one for me. I thought Dallas was a great fit. Boston, uh, any of those teams like New Orleans too, that were picking kind of higher than they actually should have been. I thought were great fits, but obviously that just has been wrong because Sadiq Bayard, he has a player of the week. He's a three point specialist. And his passing was always something I felt was underrated and, And he just doesn't make mistakes in the passing department, I feel like. I I feel like that's translated almost perfectly. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would agree. He's not a guy that makes a lot of mistakes. Um, He's obviously shot the ball extremely well. I I still believe if we had an 82-game schedule, we could see Sadiq Bey breaking the rookie three-point made (laughs) record. I don't think he's going to do it in 72, obviously. Um, but he he's exceeded I think what my expectations were our host Vlad Moldovanu, who for our listeners isn't here this week He's you know, he's got he's still playing professionally. His schedules crazy right now Um, I think he was a little higher on him coming out of Villanova thinking he was NBA ready, but he definitely What I expected him to be
2: Yeah, I mean he's just that already a glue three-point guy who's just gonna stick around for years
1: Yes, absolutely. I think at the very—I mean, I think we've already seen his floor, which is a three, and I think he'll be a, a good defensive guy. Maybe not great, but a quality team defender. I wonder how much more there is for his ceiling. Um, but if this is who he is, I think we we got a great pick with that.
0: Yeah,
2: I think it, it's crazy that the Pistons almost walked away with the three biggest steals, like almost, <laughs> of the draft. It, it's wild yeah. that their top pick has been the least value so far, but I still think that's yeah. not going to be a long-term statement. I think they still got good value out of him.
1: Yes, and that's – it, it is. i is. I've gone – I thought it was a hot take at one point. I don't know that it is anymore. Richard, you can tell me, but I feel like the Pistons may have had the best – in hindsight, the best draft last year. In terms oh, – I should say in terms of – what they've got in totality. I mean, LaMelo Ball is going to be a star, but, I mean, don't you think they hit probably on all three picks?
2: Yeah, which is unbelievably rare if you look through the history of teams having multiple picks. I mean, for example, the 2012 Rockets. Um, I just remember that whole thing. They had three or four picks in the first round and only got, I think, maybe two of them. And if okay. you hit two, like, the goal is, you know, at least one hits really well or two hit decently well. You don't want to miss on all three, obviously, and having three out of three is pretty unrealistic, but still a great chance. Um, I, I, I was so impressed with the Pistons draft, which is why I'm excited for what they do this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'll just tell you this: in Detroit, in Troy Weaver, we trust. I will tell you that much. Like we're we're very high on Troy Weaver. But let's move ahead to a game. I know you have a even bigger interest in other than just coming on and talking with us, and that's the Mavericks game. The Pistons lost uh, one seventeen to one twenty seven. We've talked about it on this podcast. That's just getting scoring. One of the games at that, that when there's that much scoring in the game, we just can't keep up. So makes sense that we lost this game. I'll let you go first. For those of you who who don't know, Richard is a Mavs Mavs fan, Richard, or you just do the podcast, lifelong Mavs fan, what is it?
2: So I'll just give the quick refresher now because it's a weird one. It's probably something you don't run into often. So I was born in Orlando. Uh My first memories in my life were at Orlando Magic games, but I moved to Dallas when I was five. So I grew up being a fan of both, like just equally. I, I grew up lifelong fan pretty much of both teams uh, and I keep up with the Mavs. I pretty much do. Yeah, I mean, I do the Mavs podcast and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I watched every game just about. I actually didn't see the game against the Lakers on Saturday night, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, but I, I do watch just about every game and keep up. Okay. So i okay. um, so my perspective from this, I'll start with Dallas. The defense was horrible um evidenced (laughs) by the pistons shooting 50 percent yeah however there were some legit takeaways i was very sad not to see seku uh i well i know we'll get to that but yeah corey joseph had a great game i feel like he historically has dominated the mavs i've called for him to be a Mav for three years now just so we don't ever have to hurt with this anymore and then the (laughs) other thing was man the mason plumbly minutes hurt even though like even though looking at the box score and he had the team worst minus 17 i i don't really take that stat into much account agreed Agreed. the mavs had no answer for him when he had the ball in his hands and it was ridiculous which i don't know how many times that's been said this year i know it's not like i know it sounds like a joke but he's actually had some really nice games this year but i i knew it would be him or isaiah stewart just going off on the Mavs.
1: sure (laughs) so uh, it's very funny richard because so on this podcast i'm known as the mason plumley hater because (laughs) um there's a whole lot of backstory behind it, but I, I like Plumley's game. I respect Plumley's game. I know he does a lot of really good things. I'm a shooter, and I, I was a shooter in my career, so I kind of lean towards guys that are a little more able to shoot the basketball a little bit. But I do respect I think we have him on a good contract. He does a lot of really good things. Um, and then the, most people say, I just don't like him, like I say, because I'm a Duke hater. But you're right. He did. <laughs> he filled up the stats sheet in this game. You know, almost got his triple-double. And then Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph is a guy a lot of Pistons fans do not like seeing playing the minutes he gets. But to me, it's, it's we're doing right by a vet who's going to be in a... He's, he has a contract for next year. We're, we're probably not going to keep him around for that price tag. So he's going to be a free agent. And I think it's just kind of good karma to give him minutes, let him show his thing, and then maybe get signed by a, by a team like the Dallas Mavericks for a couple years and continue to make a little bit of money and i'll just say this richard he's way better than what he was advertised when the trade happened because if you listen to king's fans you would have thought he was the worst player in the world
2: Yep. Yep. And so <laughs> he uh, what's he been like defensively for y'all like just positive negative because like, i've always felt like he's at least a neutral at the worst defender I,
1: I would say neutral. that whenever you ask i was my first i was gonna say neutral like i don't know that i noticed him just being awful i noticed silly turnovers more than anything with Corey joseph um especially the game last night as i rewatched. we'll get there in a second but uh, yeah i would say neutral defensively turns the ball over carelessly at times but he shot the ball well he can score it and i would vlad and myself would love to keep him around as a veteran point guard off the bench for the next couple years
2: (laughs) yeah i feel like he just fits winning basketball teams like and he's just been misplaced uh, honestly, for years now, like since he left Toronto.
1: Yep, and, that, and that's what I think, you know, it, it'll be interesting with him and Dwayne Casey if, if that's a connection that's. Um, moving on to the Spurs game, uh, 91-106 loss to the Spurs. We've talked about this again at length on the podcast. When we play teams that are kind of fighting in that 6 through 11 range, trying to make the play-in game for their playoff lives, like we just don't really have a chance, and that's where the Spurs are at. Plus, they're extremely well coached. I don't know if you got a chance to see this game or not, Richard. Do you have a, any takeaways, you know, if you did get to watch or just kind of scrolling through the box score? So I did
2: not, unfortunately, get to watch this. I, I had seen, I think I watched some of the, like, you know, NBA.com, does the, you can watch yeah. the stats on there and everything. Sure. Uh, I watched the Frank Jackson stats. He looked pretty good. Uh, I liked what he brought. Um, yeah. And I know he's someone who's growing on Pistons fans, is he not?
1: Absolutely. He is a, You spot on, Richard. Yes, sir. Yep.
2: Yeah, he's the he was the guy who stood out to me. I I really wish I, I could have said it was his starting forward uh, that night, but it was Frank Jackson who has just been on an absolute tear really since the second half of the season started.
1: I'll tell you what, and I would like I'll give you a chance to give just a little bit. I don't know if you were doing the draft breakdown stuff when he was coming out. You know, he's, he's only twenty two, so I think this is his third or fourth year. I can't remember exactly. Um, and so i don't know if you were doing the the stuff when he was coming out of duke but he has been and he is he he, i want to see him on the team next year i absolutely i've been on twitter saying that it makes me uncomfortable we don't have him locked up for next year because I would like to see if this forty percent three point percentage is something he can sustain or if it's kind of just a one hit wonder or whatever, but I can see him a twelve point a game guy forty percent three point shooter and I would love to have that in our second unit for the next you know five to eight years
2: yeah, and I'm trying to find where I had him in 2017 twenty seventeen was the first year I did map draft so I um... I am pulling up my big board now. I had him twenty-ninth, which is like fine. Okay. Not like a yeah. I'm not gonna take a victory lap or something for that. But sure. he was good out of Duke and I thought he was pretty misused. Um but he's someone who I know just like he probably like you said, he comes back probably next year on t- more than a two-way. The two-way just he's too good for that.
1: He and and that's that's my fear is Teams are going to look at what he's done for the Pistons, and and I realize it's all in context with the Pistons. We're not very good, so people are going to put up. Somebody has to score the ball, right? But they're going to look at his numbers, look at the three point percentage, and someone is going to say, "Hey, we can utilize that guy. Whether it's our fourth guard, maybe even our fifth guard." But I would like to see him stay in Detroit and see if maybe he can develop into you know even maybe more than a twelve point game score. Before we move on to the Pacers games, I would like Josh Jackson almost scored thirty in this game. He's been. I would say a surprise, inconsistent at times. He's had a really good stretch lately. What's your take on Josh Jackson? Um, not just as a guy, no, you know, not just what he was co- coming into the league, but maybe even so far um, early in his career.
2: Yeah, so I was I was very low on him in 2017. The draft I um, was a little bit convinced otherwise by the end of his rookie season in Phoenix, and then after that he just didn't progress. And it honestly felt like he had overachieved in his rookie year. Which scared me and then you know, he starts this year off hot becomes the most improved candidate next to the real (laughs) most improved candidate Um, Like and then he cools off and now he's back in his you know, when he's on. He's a really good player It's just I feel like he's the enemy like he He does his he does damage to himself more than any other player. That's a rotation player in the league It's it's wild. He, He can avoid so many like on defense. He just misses rotations on offense He just he takes some really bad shots and the defense less is, is less of an issue. I think it's a pretty nitpicking thing. But the offense, I mean, I've just seen a drive, and he like almost premeditates his moves sometimes, and huge concern for me with that. But I think at the least he secured himself as an end-of-rotation player on a good team at the worst
1: absolutely I, I would I would agree with all of that as I've started to do some of these breakdowns I've been doing I've noticed like he tends to be the guy who loses his man defensively I think he's a good on ball defender he blocks shots well for a guard in the league but yeah he tends to lose his guy off the ball um, has some mental breakdowns and then offensively that's what I, I've been known to say that you know you just have to live with a few bad shots from Josh Jackson every game like you just have to hope the good outweighs the bad. Um, So little backstory for me, I'm a KU fan. So I grew up in Kansas. I actually live in Kansas now. And um, so Josh Jackson, you know, obviously I have a connection, watched all of his college games. And it's, I'm glad to see him successful. I think he was on his way out of the league and hopefully he's resurrecting his career a little bit, you know, back in Detroit, his hometown. But I think he's been better than what we thought he was going to be so far. so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if he has a long term future in the second unit for us. Um, moving forward, uh, Richard, the last game before we get to the three one three Pacers loss. Um, we record we're recording this Sunday afternoon, so this was last night for us. Right now, one hundred nine one fifteen loss Saturday night to the Pacers. Again, not sure if you got to see this game or not, but any takeaways from the game or, or, or just from the box score?
2: Yeah, so I unfortunately did not get to catch this one. But I guess I have one question uh, okay. that I would love to have an answer of because it just stuck out immediately. The Pistons had 23 more rebounds than the Pacers and lost by six. <laughs> so could you just walk me through that?
1: Um, we don't shoot the ball very well. Fair. For, for, I mean, you know, we shot 40% from the field, 30% from three, and – well, and, and here's the stat that, that we had 18 turnovers to the Pacers four, you know. So um, for the offensive rebound, we gained six offensive rebounds. But for those six offensive possessions we gained, we lost 14 in the turnover column. So, um, you know, it, to me, it's a story this. I think you could watch every Pistons game, look at every Pistons box score, and you could find something positive to take away. But in the same breath, I think there's every game you could take something that you know, just negative or, or that you wish they could improve on.
2: Sounds right. I mean, it's, it's hard when you're a, a team in that position. I mean, I'm also a magic fan, so I get that.
1: Uh, sure. Sure. And that's what, and that's why we're going to talk about the magic here in the, around the NBA before we go to the three, one, three, Rich. I, so Jeremy Grant after this game said that when he played, so he was with the Sixers during the trust the process years. Yep. And he said that this feels different in Detroit, that it's not going to be a three- or four-year process. Before we get into all this draft stuff, do you think – I've been on the record of saying I think the Pistons can be in the play-in game next year, can be competing for the play-in game. Do you see the Pistons as a more five-, six-year process, or do you think in the East this is a roster – adding the right pieces that could start to compete to be in the playoffs in the next year or two.
2: Well, for reference, the Pistons, even with a lot of the rest and injuries, I mean the number one pick was out for most of the year. They're still only eight wins back from the play in game total. The East, like it is improving. However, the Pistons are part of that group. That's the improving part of it. So I'm not going to count them out. The fact that Cleveland isn't like entirely out of the picture yet um i I think there's look in the east i'm never going to say never it's not like you know the west is a lot harder when you have teams like i mean minnesota and houston are just so far away right now um yeah that i think i I don't think you're in that tier you know i think you're a little bit above i think it all depends on what happens this offseason that's both draft free agency trades uh all of it and then also just what happens around them because the i mean We'll talk about it in a minute, I'm sure, but like the the Magic are getting better. The Cavs are clearly on the up and up. What happens with the Raptors? Yeah. The Wizards could be a team that you could, you know, unseat. Yeah, but yeah. it's a it's a very interesting picture. And I don't think there's any definitive leaning as to where the East is going.
1: Sure. And you bring up a great point with the Wizards who have won, what, like six, seven in a row, Russell Westbrook's on a tear. And, and they're actually in that 10 spot above the Bulls who we talked about last week. And we'll dive into that trade From the magic perspective later in the in the episode but you brought up the draft everybody in pistons land is talking about the draft i want to talk here at least a little bit richard about maybe some of the situations scenarios picks that aren't we know the top five right and we're going to talk about that a little bit but i want to talk about some of the back end some of the other possible situations for the pistons so my first question for you directly related related to the detroit pistons draft we have three second-round picks. Is there a guy at the end of the first round that would be worth trading all three of those, or in your would it take all three of those to get into the back end of the first round? What what's some scenarios there that we could do with those second-round picks to maybe get a, you know one quality player?
2: Yeah, so I mean, two of them right now are in the top fifteen of the second round, and then you also have the Lakers' pick. So the Lakers continue to fall. Uh, so, I mean, that's probably going to be around 50 to 54, probably no worse, no less, I don't think, than, than that range. Sure. So, that one's not going to hold as much value, but those early seconds, I really do think have a lot of value. Um, I, I think there's a couple guys that you could look at in the end of the first round. Um, forgive me, because I know one of them is someone, uh, it might have even been two that you really wanted to talk about in depth, so I'll kind of just build that up. But Chris Duarte from Oregon, I think his age yep. will hold him back the same way we saw with Desmond Bain last year. Um, those guys have immediate payoff. We've seen it now three years in a row. It feels like with Cameron Johnson as well. You could also look at our favorite Jeremiah Robinson Uh, Earl, who I have as number 10 on my board. I I don't, I don't, I know it's a hot take, but it's like, I I genuinely believe that there's no way the guy fails in the league. And then another guy who I think would be worth trading up for in that late first round would be bones. Nishan Highland, um, from VCU as a shot creator. I think he's a great okay. upside play. I think, though, to answer your question, I think absolutely you should look to moving those second-round picks to get one quality first-rounder.
1: Well, and and that's what I, I was just curious if – if so do you think those second-round picks – for the first round? Like, I mean, with those two that you talked about being as, as early in the second round as, as what they are?
2: I think so. It depends. I, I really do think that, like – if you want to get nitpicky, you know, maybe using one of them and then using a future because not everybody wants to use all their picks in one. Absolutely. So sure. I think you sure. could, you're the most likely thing would be using the 38th pick currently the, the highest of them all. And then packaging like a future second. And then, that makes and, sense. And that's what I think. I think that would hundred percent. Um, I think that would hundred percent work. You look at a team like Phoenix, they would probably benefit a little bit from giving a non-guaranteed deal at 38 or a 36, wherever that ends up. And there's only seven players difference in that. So, and Phoenix is looking, they're a team that needs just very niche role players. Why not? So that's that's where I stand with it, is a team like that, if you get the right team, 100%, it's worth it for both sides.
1: Awesome. And so that, and you brought up, I feel like this is where we've connected a little bit. Richard, and and so anybody that follows either one of us on Twitter sees our interactions. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a guy, obviously, you're higher on probably than anybody, right? I mean, I'm not trying to, like, put you on the spot, but I don't think a lot of people have him at 10. But I love him, too, and I just think he fits the modern game. Like you say, he doesn't make mistakes. I see him being able to make the NBA 3. I'd like to hear your take on that. I just think he'd be a great fit for us. Villanova has been good to for us. Um, you know, those of you that don't know Jeremiah Robinson Earl, he was a teammate of Sadiq Bey last year. And it just seems like Villanova guys, while maybe they don't turn into stars, they seem NBA ready and they have really good careers.
2: Yeah, and the selling point with Jeremiah Robinson Earl as a freshman was, you know, really good athlete, doesn't use it at all that much in college, but he also knows when to use it, which I think is almost more important than just recklessly using it. Absolutely. And then... The other thing is like, you know, he's just a jack of all trades, master of none. Right. Like That's he probably is the most like he personifies that that type. And I, I think he can just do so much. There's a lot of times he does it about once a game. He'll bring the ball up the floor. He can take it coast to coast. You know, he sees he's the floor really well, just very again, very limited in mistakes. He's good as a pick-and-roll man. Um, I think he's a good athlete. Again, I, I bring that up. To help him on defense, I think that there's room for improvement in far and away his biggest weakness, which is he struggles to guard guards. I mean, if you put him on a guard sure. in college, he struggled. But I think that's an area where he just... I think with coaching and, honestly, NBA shaped that combo, it's not a crazy improvement he needs to make. It's not like we're asking him just to turn into a world-class athlete and like get the best coaching of all time. He just needs someone to... I don't know, fix, I mean, it's, it's minor fixes in that department. I can't really put it into words, but you watch him and you see how fixable that area is. So I, I just don't well, see really a way he fails in the league.
1: Well, honestly, they told us that Isaiah Stewart couldn't guard on the perimeter coming out of college. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that anybody, you know, that everybody can do that. But he has shown early in his career in small sample sizes, but the ability to defend on the perimeter. So I think just because they aren't or don't do it as well in college, like you say, that some of that stuff is fixable, especially if you have the athletic traits to do it. Um, So I, I don't know if you do this, so don't be afraid to say no. I'm not really into the comparison. Is there an NBA comparison? Do you do that whenever you do your breakdowns? Just to, I know our listeners, people in general, love those NBA comparison type things. Do you do those? And if you do, who who is your comparison for JRE?
2: Yeah, so I do. I kind of steal the ringer's thing on this, where they say shades of or similar to the two guys okay, that jump absolutely. out. The two guys that jump out. He and and. One of them isn't a great comparison, but he has literally identical form and some similar skill sets. He's more well-rounded than this player, but Maxi Kleba of the Mavs, they have quite literally okay. identical shooting form. Sure. Um, and the other, though, his more play style, I think a more true comparison is Dario Saric, I think is a, okay. is someone who I feel like if you put him in that exact role, give him three years, he will produce identically the same and just be that quality glue role player.
1: Awesome. That's, uh, so that's that exciting. I, I'm all in, as you know. We, we argue about this all the time when you talk about him ending up in, in Dallas and I want him in Detroit. Um, real quick, do you think Ger- Gerard Butler will fall – Will he fall that far back into the first round or do you think he's going to go earlier? Because I had Butler and Duarte from Oregon as as conversations with this topic as well.
2: So I think he's going to go – I think he's going to go in the middle of the first. I don't see him making it past 23, 24. He won't make it to 25. I know it seems arbitrary, but I see him in that 15 to 24 range where I I just feel like teams have learned after they see Jalen Brunson. I mean, they're almost identical players. So I just, I I think that he's going to be hard to get in the late first round. It's a bad gamble. And, you know, even though he's a junior, he's, uh, he doesn't, I don't know. He plays like a senior and doesn't there's room for improvement too. like the jump shot can still get so much better. He's not limited with what he is. He just is closer to his ceiling, but not limited to growth, you know?
1: Sure. No, that, that makes sense. Um, before we get into a couple other more interesting, I don't want to say more interesting, but just different scenarios for the Pistons. Let's go into the big one. All right here, Richard. So I I don't want you, I'm asking this question, not who do you think they're going to get? Cause we don't even know where it's going to, this pick is going to land. Just, Who do you think, based off what you've scouted, what you know about the Pistons' current roster, assuming no big free agents, we still have the Blake Griffin contract on the books, who do you think is the best fit for the Detroit Pistons with that number one pick? Let's just say it's, you know, let's say it's number one and you're picking for best fit. What player do you think fits the best for the Pistons?
2: Yeah, I mean, my stance is talent fits, you know, so I would obviously go Cade Cunningham. You can never sure. have enough ball handlers. He can score on all three levels. He's a capable defender, the best passer in the class. There's just there's nothing to like, nothing to dislike with him. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> and I think I think he's the best player. But if you're going purely for fit, I mean, what would you say? I think we're gonna have the same answer. What do you think is the biggest need for the Pistons?
1: Scoring and the shooting guard position.
2: Okay, interesting. So I actually had it as something different entirely. Uh, I know Isaiah Stewart has helped in this area. I was going to say rim protection still. Sure. Like okay. full time rim protection. Uh, and that I would have said Evan, Evan Mobley would be the second okay. option. He's someone yeah. who I feel like is a match made in heaven with the current roster. So
1: one of those. So. Two. so- no, th- this is great because this this is the topic. I think I think if we have the number one pick, everybody is sold on Cade Cunningham. Not everybody. But I think where it would get interesting is if we're not number one. If we're number two, I really like Jalen Green and his fit because he just, a, to me, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's a pure scorer. He fits right in there. But a lot of people really like Evan Mobley. And I don't think you draft because of this. Do you think Evan Mobley and Isaiah Stewart could play together long term?
2: Yeah, I I do. I do. It it took me a second to think about it, but I guess my stance is um, Evan Mobley isn't a true big man. Okay. He is an oversized forward, is how I would describe him, because, you know, the length and everything, he protects the rim. The role he played in college was because he dominates the size. Like, I mean, you've seen it probably. The amount of health defense he can offer is ridiculous, which automatically, almost, if you're that level at that size, you're probably a center. But the thing is, offensively, there are flashes where he would just break guys down one on one. He can pass; like he's he has great vision. I really think he's an oversized small forward combo forward more than he is a true center. So, yes, I could see them working together. I think their best play might be off the floor with each other, but or without each other. But I do think that there is a oh, path for them to play minutes together.
1: And i have actually I'm actually on that team as well. I would still take Jalen Green. I just. Again, I'm going to ask this question in a second if he's the best pure scorer in the draft. But I do think Mobley and Stewart can play together because I think they both have a skill set where the floor can still be spaced. They can guard perimeter time players when asked. I'm not saying you can just match them up with a guard, but they can switch. Um, Mobley can protect the rim a little bit more, and maybe Stewart can protect you know, with his size and his physicality where Mobley wouldn't have to guard those type of players. So that's my one question about Evan Mobley. Is the, is the frame an issue? Does it scare anybody? Does it make you nervous? Or you just assume he's going to be able to put 20 pounds on when he gets to the NBA? I mean, or does he need to put 20 pounds on?
2: He's a stick. Yeah. He, I mean, he needs to put on weight. But like, because he will get bullied, I don't think he can really guard post players entirely well. But that's not necessarily a major issue unless you're playing like Embiid or Jokic or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Sure. but. Sure. I, I I think he needs to get there, but it's not, it's not only going to, I don't know. I don't think it hurts him really outside of the first couple years. I mean, you see Giannis took three years to really fill out that crazy yeah. frame. And if he, Absolutely. and if he is actually, you know, working out like that, then yeah, it wouldn't be an issue. Well,
1: okay. So real quick, before we move on, is Jalen Green, am I, am I, whenever I say, I f- think Jalen Green's the best, pure score in the draft am i correct or incorrect
2: so sorry i dodged the question now three times i
1: <laughs> no, 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 no i it's I, okay. uh, I keep asking you other questions and no I'm you're good. A very good host right now so
2: <laughs> no you're good i i would say no personally i would okay. go with james book as the best pure score
1: yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. That's what, and and I, I think this this will lead us right into the next question. So there's been some talk, and me and Vlad on our last episode brought this up. Let's say we end up with the number five pick, and we don't think that that guy is uh that Kaminga is the guy at five. Whatever scenarios. Let's say we want to trade back. Somebody falls in loves falls in love with Kaminga, whoever it is, and they want to trade up, and we trade to the back end of the lottery. Who's I don't want to say sleeper pick. I wrote sleeper in the notes, but Who's a pick in that, let's say, 9 to 14 range maybe that that could really be a, a hot name or, or, or a star that maybe isn't getting recognized enough because of these guys at the front?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, what – what direction, I guess, would you you want? Just pure upside on this? Would that be kind yeah, of yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, pure, pure up? Because I, I think if we trade back in that scenario, we still have to go boom or bust. So, who has the highest upside? Who has a chance to be a ten-time all-star at pick number ten?
2: Man, I'm gonna give you three or four names. One of them is the biggest enigma in the class, arguably. Uh, so I'll start with him. I, I, I have him a little bit low just because it's hard to judge his season. I've had him as high as like seven, and I've had him as low where he is now at 20. But I don't think either of them are going to be where he ends up. I think he's going to end up right in the middle, which is Zaire Williams at uh, Stanford. I think I completely okay. buy his jump shot in the worst and best way I've heard him described. It's, it's a very double-edged sword. But when he's on, he looks like a top five pick. When he's not, he looks like he just learned how to play basketball. So he <laughs> he has a crazy level of just variance. And to be fair, he's a stick. And Stanford has a historically, like, notoriously bad um, weight program. I mean, Tyrell Terry really didn't work out too much there. Like, they didn't add strength when he was there. That, and, you know, last year that was a huge issue with him. Yeah. So someone like that is someone to watch for. I think he's closer to 13 than he has 20. Um, another guy, international. I don't know a ton about his game. He's an enigma for me. Not just because he's international, just because I don't know what his role is. So Roko Prkocic, uh, I think he's like six nine, basically a forward. Um, is the best way I would describe me six eight, excuse me. Really good athlete, just great instincts and just raw upside. He doesn't mind finishing through contact. Uh, just has a good feel for the game, but just hasn't put it together yet. Uh, another guy I would throw in there would be josh christopher from arizona state i think he was also robbed of a season you know great one-on-one score i think he has great defensive potential and can score at all three levels potentially but um he's a little bit of a hit or miss guy and then the last one would be kai jones i don't really see him as a hit or miss despite his unicorn potential um can guard pretty much one through five he's one of the few guys i've seen at his size that can sit down in a stance and actually defend a guard and he can also hit jab step threes. He's just very unique, very unique. Not much of a passer, but the scoring and defense are are there.
1: I love Kai Jones, but everything I've seen until you honestly has to- has told me that he's the ultimate boomer bust guy from what I've seen because, you know, the ceilings there but the floor is there. You know, some of the production wasn't great at Texas, he didn't have a good NCAA tournament, but you just look at his I mean I mean I just think he's he's very impressive. He's a He's the guy I I was really high on as well. And I've seen him as high as jumping into that fifth spot and and removing Kaminga. So that's a guy you think is going to be very successful. You you feel confident that he'll have a successful NBA career?
2: I'd bet on him probably the most of all four guys that I threw out there. I, I guess my thing is with him is like what makes him bust? Because, yeah, his team defense is pretty bad. He's very bad at positioning on defense and rotating and things like that. But again, I think that's something that'll come with NBA style coaching. Um, But also he's a freak athlete. Like I saw him at TCU last year in person. (laughs) And he's one of those guys where like, if you look away for a second, like this literally happened to me. I was talking to a friend over there and, um, and like we were courtside and whatnot, just watching guys warm up. And I turned my head to ask my friend something that was there and, and all of a sudden you just hear the most thunderous dunk. And I'm like, well, I missed a Kai Jones dunk. And lo and yeah. behold, he was just running away from the basket after. He's a free athlete. The physical tools are there. So what makes him bust besides team defense?
1: Sure. No, that's uh, I, I'm with you. I just I continue to see that. So yeah. it, it was it was it was nice to hear that perspective. All right, before we move on to a few second round prospects, if we did keep those picks. A hot name, I'm going to give you two guys, so you can answer in whatever order, however much you want. But a hot name, obviously, because of the NCAA tournament, has been Davion Mitchell. And then I think a guy that's gone the other way, who also played in that game, was Corey Kispert. How about those two guys?
2: Yeah, so Davion Mitchell is the best defender in the class. I think that's a safe assessment. Um, him Him or Scotty Barnes are up there. He is magnificent. Don't get me wrong. I I just have some concerns about the combination of age, repeatability of his shooting season. When you look at the fact that he never shot 35% from three before this year. um, And then also the free throw percentage isn't, has never crossed 70%, which are two flags. That being said, his form is really nice. And I feel like his three point percentage was more of a shot selection thing. But if you want the closest thing to Marcus Martin in this class, it's probably him. It's just a little bit risky. Of how likely is he going to reach that ceiling? So sure. I'm iffy on him. I think shooting translates. You look at Cameron Johnson. You look at Desmond Bain. You can't overthink Corey Kispert.
1: And that's what people are doing, right? Like they're overthinking Corey Kispert, right? Is that what's happening? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That and he's going to be lottery though, still, don't you think? Because I've seen him fall to like in the twenties on big boards and lot, you know, all that stuff. Like he's still going to go lottery, isn't he?
2: i i think he almost has to i think it depends on how smart teams are honestly it depends on if they overthink it or not because it it seems like such an obvious fit you know when cam johnson was taken in 2019 i i still thought that was one of the dumbest picks uh, until like a year after and, and it's been a great pick he, just shooting translates and guys that have the basketball iq and work ethic they work with that combination. So he's elite. He's the best shooter in the class. Generally, the best shooter in the class has almost always panned out in these recent, like, five drafts.
1: And, I mean, in today's game, shooting, floor spacing, it, it, everybody needs it. You can't have enough. So, all right, before we talk about uh, a current piston, let's go one more possible future Piston. Let's go, let's, let's play the scenario. We keep these second round picks, or maybe we go, maybe we package them to get the first pick of the second round, something like that. But who are some sleepers in the second round? You know, some, some guys you think I'm not saying they're going to turn into all-stars. They're not going to be Draymond Green. That's not what I'm, that's <laughs> not what I'm saying, but you know, could, could could fit into the rotation in a couple years, be a 10 point a game guy, a ten—you know, you know th- those those type of guys. Who are some guys in the second round we should keep our
2: eyes on? Yeah, let's start with uh, another big man because I know I've brought up like twenty of them. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Sandro Mamukelashvili from Seton Hall. He okay. is a point forward, point center, depending on the lineup. Um, can really has just a really quick shot. Decent on defense. No more. He's never going to be more than neutral, but I also don't know if he's ever going to be negative. Uh, which I feel like in the NBA, if you're not bad, you're good kind of thing. Sure. So he's someone who I really like, just a pretty well-rounded offensive player, brings the ball up the floor. He's like 6'10", 6'11", and a ball handler. That's crazy unique. So I think someone like him would be a brilliant pick. Um, Someone who I brought up earlier with uh, Bones Highland, I think he can go anywhere from 25 to 40 just because he is 6'3", 165, which is unbelievably skinny. But he can shoot from anywhere on the floor, score from anywhere on the floor, and I think as he adds strength, he'll finish at the rim well. Um, there's just Those are two guys that really jump out to me. If you want a deeper sleeper, um, I'm a big fan, I think, of someone who should be rising because his game is very similar to, like, James Book Knight to an extent, and he's just a worse Book Knight, but a worse Book Knight should be in the 30s, right? 30s or 40s. Uh-huh. And, yeah. That's Isaiah Wong from Miami. He's a guy who, crazy athletic, great shot creator, just creates so much space and can score. His shot's a little bit slow, but and he needs to add weight, but crazy explosive, just he's a great gamble who's someone I think he could take the Hamadou Diallo role.
1: Okay, all right, yeah, and that's, I mean, Hami is, uh, he had a great start to his season with the Pistons, and then it's gone a little not so great. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, for him. What about a, a mission guy? What about Isaiah Livers? You see him a, a solid NBA prospect, a guy that gets drafted in the second round and has a decent career. Where are you at with him?
2: Yeah. So I actually have Livers exactly one spot below Wong. I, and okay. right now they're in my like early forties, late thirties, depending on the day. Livers has uh, a qual- like obviously, you know, outstanding shooter, one of the top five shooters in the class, but he also is a really good rebounder, which if you have a really good, like rebounding translates, you know this, like, yes, yeah. and That shooting translates generally if you have the numbers in your, you know, you have the sample size and the history. Someone like Livers, his shot will translate. So those are two automatically translatable skills. I think he's someone who should be going honestly very late first. I would take him there. I wouldn't even think twice. It's such a good value play.
1: Awesome. All right. Two other names real quick, just because they're bigger names. And I think one of these guys I've said, he's the most polarizing player in the draft. I don't know if you'll agree or not because I've heard anywhere from he'll never play in the NBA to, you know, whatever. So Luca Garza and Johnny Juzang.
2: Okay. So let's start with Garza. Um, I think you watch, you know, you watch some Nikola Vucevic and early in his career, especially like the first three years. And this isn't a comparison per se, but you look at him in his early first few years. He just, especially with the Magic, he just couldn't guard. And if he was playing good defense, it was a product of the coaching and the rotations that he, had, that he other guys made for him that set him up. But he eventually got better. And I, I don't know. Even though he doesn't have many great physical tools, he still has been a massive positive. And you know, he shot. He was a killer mid range guy until he recently added three point shooting only a few years ago. And he's an outstanding post scorer. Almost everything I just described is fits the Luca Garza bill. So why is it someone like who is the most talented player in college basketball and also one of the hardest workers in college basketball who year over year has gotten better? Why would you not take him just because his game is outdated when you see like the way I look at it is Al Jefferson should have been an all-star like eight years ago and he was a horrible yeah. defender. You can make up for it if you have these elite skills and he has borderline elite offense of upside like for as center at least in terms of what he does in a per minute role not necessarily obviously he's not going to be some like you know he's not going to be some elite players Not going to be an all-star ever sure. but yeah if you get him in the right system i look at rick carlisle who has done who has made a career out of getting big men 20 minutes a game getting them out of there before their defense like just nukes the team and then they come out super productive brandon wright's a prime example i think there's a place for luca gars in this league and i don't think twice
1: Awesome.
2: And Johnny Juzang? So Juzang's a little bit harder to evaluate because if you take out the tournament run, he probably doesn't get drafted. And I'm always skeptical to take guys who are products of the tournament because outside of like Dante DiVincenzo and a couple other guys, I can't really remember a ton that stuck out that, you know, I, I, I don't like to confuse college success and NBA success because it's something very easy to do. I think Johnny Juzang could be a guy who, I would take in the late second because that jump shot is legit. I I think he's better than 35% he took, but what else does he do? And that's a little bit worrisome to me. Like, I I just, I don't know if he stands out in other ways. I would take him again in the draft, but I'm not going to like say he's the sleeper of the draft or anything like that. I, I don't, I'm not on board with that.
1: Absolutely. All right, Richard, let's move on to a current Piston. And to me, again, we just talked about a polarizing player who I I think the most polarizing player in the draft, Luca Garza. Let's go to the the guy I think is the most polarizing Piston, and that's Sekou Dambuya. Um, I'm sure you scouted him last year as a prospect. I'm sure you've seen a little bit of his career. You mentioned earlier you didn't get to see him in that Mavs game. Whenever I first kind of started this podcast and really started diving deep into the Pistons here just almost a year ago now, I heard a lot of Siakam, Giannis comparisons, like that trajectory. Not that he was that now, but he was going to get there. And I, I just feel like Pistons fans refuse to have a middle ground on this guy. I personally see him as a career second unit man. What did you see him as coming into the draft? What do you see him as now?
2: Yeah, so I had him as number 11 on my board. Um, I, I don't know if he'll ever live up to that status, unfortunately, because it's also very early to actually dismiss it, like sure. I just tried doing, but I always felt he had boomer bust upside and I was very, I very much believed the boom. My take was I thought one of Nasir Little or Sekou Doumbouya would hit and I knew it wouldn't be Nasir Little. So I went all in on safety <laughs> kind of thing, which is a terrible way to scout someone, but they had very similar skills. And I, I think... You know, it's hard because when he first came up in 2019, 2020, whenever it was that he started um, playing in the rotation, he had like his span of like seven to 10 games where it was just, he was unreal. Um, And he was Dr. Doom. I don't know if you remember that, that nickname and everything. And uh, I was a big fan of him, but unfortunately it just feels like he, his decision making has just been so bad that I don't know what it is that he needs, but it's something's got to change i don't know if he's premeditating his moves sometimes i've noticed off of catching fakes he'll premeditate if he's going to spin do a euro kind of thing like it's very obvious to tell um because i mean i've seen it a lot like dennis smith jr used to do that who i'm sorry i know is a piston but um <laughs> but i you can tell when guys do that and, and it felt like he had done that a lot i don't know if that's something fixable or not but if he fixes that it really opens up the skills in his game
1: yeah so <laughs> I have a hard time with Sekou because I have one side that tells me he's a bust, he should be overseas, and then the other side says Casey's ruined him, he's not getting enough playing time, he's he's the next Giannis. I'm like, no, like neither one of those is right. To me, it's somewhere in the middle. I do wish he would get more playing time and more chances. I do think at times he pouts whenever he doesn't get those. I think it's interesting that his teammates don't seem to trust him sometimes. I see sometimes him play with a ton of energy and he's attacking the basket and finishing and it looks really good. I think a year in the G League, this is nobody's fault. The world is a crazy world right now. would have done him well. I just, part of me wonders now if a change of scenery is going to be what it actually takes to get the most out of him.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I'm a Magic fan as well. I've seen this with Bamba. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, And I actually wonder if that might be a trade that might happen.
1: Uh, (laughs) I would not be. I was going to say, as soon as you said Bamba, I'm like, that's a a name that a lot of Pistons fans, whenever we play with the trade machine on ESPN, it's always Mo Bamba somehow ends up being involved in that coming to Detroit. So that's a name that Pistons fans keep a close eye on. Um, So as you bring up the magic, let's go around the NBA. Let's switch gears here a little bit. Last week on the show, we talked about the Chicago Bulls and how that trade for Vucevic, who you brought up a a little bit ago with the Luka Garza, you know, somewhat of a comparison. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just kind of (laughs) a little bit of a a comparison there. Um, We talked about how that hasn't really worked out for Chicago, at least this year, and then Zach Zach Levine's in COVID protocol now. You you, you told the listeners earlier, you grew up in Orlando, Magic fan. Let's look at that from the Magic perspective. Um, How this draft could play out, the young core there, what did you think about that trade, Richard? And then just kind of the future of the Magic right now?
2: Yeah, so that was a three-part trade, pretty much of, or three-part untooling of their current roster and just kind of yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. That's my,
1: no, 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 no. You're yeah, good. So, the, so there are there various trades in there. So, yeah, dive into all of those because I do yeah. feel like all those you know interacted together. So I, I'm sorry. I yeah.
2: Like, no, no, no. You're good. I was just gonna. Yeah. I was gonna do exactly that. Like, so it starts with the Evan Fournier one. That was a pure salary dump. Ownership kind of got cheap, which. I don't know they were going to get seconds in like james johnson or something or matching salary of a guy that wasn't that good because just because the unfortunate nature yes he's a shooter and shooting is super valuable but he's also going to be a free agent who hasn't really proved to be and i hate to say this because i think things like this are just the absolute cheesiest corniest things but he hasn't been proven to be a winning player um because you know defensive concerns and all but so that one was a little bit weird, but it opened up opportunity to take in another player. And if you look at it in that way, it wasn't that bad. I think. let I'll just go into the Vucevic last. But you know, getting R.J. Hampton back and Gary Harris, I think, were two outstanding gets for Aaron Gordon. I was. Not, sure. I wasn't happy with the fact that they got a 2025 first rounder. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, which it probably won't have much value, which is unfortunate. But you got another first-rounder from this last year in Hampton who has shown great flashes, looked much better than I ever anticipated. I was very down on him um, despite him being right in my backyard in Dallas. And <laughs> I saw him in high school, but he's been really nice, great in transition. He just is raw. I don't know what's necessarily real in his game. And Gary Harris is a good guy who, if he plays well next year, you have another trade opportunity because Absolutely, yeah. the Put Magic probably – yeah, the Magic probably won't be in that um, playing game discussion necessarily. It'd be kind of big jump. And then lastly, you go to the Vucevic one, which of course requires all the attention, and rightfully so. Um, people thought the Magic got fleeced. I did not understand that one bit. So Vucevic, if you look at it in a vacuum, sure. Yeah, you didn't get an all-star caliber player, but you got a 2021 pick. And, and it may not be a lot to a people, a lot of people, and you got 2023, but... It kind of, it does a few things. One, it properly allows you to tank, you get, you're building an asset and you're furthering an internal asset with your 2021 pick, uh, by by pushing it down. And then also the bulls had no rim protection. Like that was a very obvious flaw that would hurt them. And it's backfired for the bulls very much. So very quickly. Uh, Wendell Carter has also been outstanding and Otto Porter has somehow stayed and could be a veteran presence. I don't think he will stay, but, I just, I was a big fan and they got off the Aminu contract, which I don't know how the bulls got sucked into taking that. Because,
1: because Otto Porter's expiring, right? That's an expiring contract.
2: Yep. It costs the magic (laughs) nothing.
1: So I'm with, so I thought the Boston trade, I hated that Boston trade for Boston because they used their trade except part of their trade exception on that. And I wasn't a huge fan of that. I didn't think that that was a weird, like you said, that was a weird trade. The Nuggets trade, I think is, I don't know. What's your take on
2: Aaron Gordon? So I uh, – you're talking to someone who has been a fan of his since his Arizona days. So mind you, this is going to come out a little bit biased. <laughs> he's a great defender. Uh, I think he's probably the most underrated good defender in the league because it. I, I had this argument with Raptors fans a few weeks ago. So I rewatched the Magic series. I think they had showed a game on like NBA TV and then I just watched all the Kawhi shots after um, – you know he played incredible defense in that series against Kawhi. Kawhi just scored over him and then people are like well look at the numbers you know Kawhi <laughs> shot this on him and i'm like well, that's not really a fair way so a lot of people will do that and, and i he somehow had his defensive reputation suffer in that series when i thought it should have risen when he was very good sure. all around in that and he's a great defender, and I think his offensive game is totally dependent on who's around him. So playing with Jokic, and it really sucks that Murray got injured yeah. because that was quite literally a match made in heaven for yeah. the basketball heaven for um, Aaron Gordon. That was the perfect situation.
1: Yeah, that's and that's why th- that was my concern for the trade, and I'm not here saying that like you, you obviously don't foresee injuries, but that trade made me nervous because you got rid of Gary Harris and RJ Hampton, which I know Hampton wasn't getting a ton of minutes there, but I'm like, that guard position is very, very slim all of a sudden without very many playmakers. I'm really interested, and then I want to hear more about the Magic in just a second and their future and their young core, but... Do you think Aaron Gordon, not with Jokic, I guess, could you see Aaron Gordon becoming a little bit more of a playmaker then? Because I know, isn't that how he sees himself offensively as like a point forward type player? And so with Murray out, do you see him doing some more of that?
2: Yeah, which is dangerous because he wants to be a shot creator. And the problem is he creates the looks, but they're not always quality looks. And they're also, his shooting is far too inconsistent to actually be that role. So yeah, they do need a guy like Gary Harris. They would love to have him right now.
0: Yeah
1: um oh let, let's go back to the magic so i like wendell carter jr i think he's an underrated player still a young kid see i don't hate duke that much i'm giving all these Duke guys love so i don't know why i get this bad rap richard so like if you get a chance let people but um uh, and then the young i like i love markel Foltz. i'm interested to see your take on him i i, I just feel for a guy like that you know long story very short i went through a bunch of injuries whenever during my college playing career so i, I think i kind of root for those guys Cole anthony jonathan isaac another guy both the future there for bomba whatever just kind of give our listeners kind of a a feel you know this is a team that we're probably competing with in that young <laughs> core looking to the future like the that, tank in, race. in a race for that
2: the tank race
1: yes yes exactly
2: <laughs> so I think he, let's start with jonathan isaac if it, it's horribly unfortunate what's happened with him because the acl but i mean the last two major injuries he's had have just been unbelievably unlucky running into bradley beale's knee i mean that could have happened to quite literally anybody that had a lot of people label him injury prone because of that he just had a freak accident <laughs> it just um, happens, yep. and when he's healthy he's a top three to five defender in the league uh, that's very non-exaggerated and his offense is okay enough where he is a plenty of a positive and especially being under Steve Clifford. Then um, going to Markel Fultz. You know, I, I don't think the ACL injury with nowadays, it's not an injury that will derail your career exactly. in the NBA. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, his shot had been getting better. It's really unfortunate that it happened because he was just Great. looking so good and you, on both ends. I think it's, he's going to take a little bit into next season to being who he is. Um, and that's why I think having Cole Anthony being so good is so important because he has been magnificent. If you look at his stats ever since he had that game winner against Minnesota, he has been just on point. He's been getting to his spots all year. It's just makes and misses at this point, which I think is something so unbelievably easy to fix when you have the talent that these guys do in the NBA making and missing shots is just a matter of time more than anything for guys like that. Uh, So I think he'll be a very quality player. The worst, he's like a, like a Lou will type. Uh, then you go to Chumo Kiki, who is the shot-creating oh, sure. combo forward, who I think is arguably the most upside player on the team right now. Um, just two-way two way shot creator and a combo forward is just such a unique role. Um, and then we talked about RJ, and I, I think that was – was there. oh, and Mo Bamba. Sorry, Mo Bamba. No I, I would be very shocked if he's on the Magic next year. Sure. I, I've heard from other people that it's – I mean, all things considered, nobody got on the right foot from the get-go with that relationship, and it's just – it's a contract year next year. They need to just kind of it's a sunk cost, you know.
1: You guys have two top 10 picks. Is the the one from Chicago is top 4 protected. Am, am I right about that?
2: Correct. Correct.
1: Okay, so you guys actually need Chicago to win a few games here to make sure that that stays out of the top 4 pick, but what what do you think is the best case scenario, or what would be the dream draft? Obviously, it'd be you hitting the lottery, getting the number one pick. But what's kind of the dream scenario for the Magic with you know possibly two top ten picks this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I want one in five. I just want all the Mac. I, I just <laughs> the Magic have had some terrible drafting luck recently. I want it, um, but. Realistically, I think you, you look at getting either one or two. I think that's a game changer for the Magic and immediately puts them into a play playoff contention spot, uh, or at least for the playing game, not like top eight necessarily. But I think that's an absolute must. If you had Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley, I cannot overstate the impact that those guys will have in year one. So getting one of those and then getting a quality just role player. Uh, and, and by... I don't know how to word this right, but the Magic don't need a specific position anywhere on the floor because they have so many guys. They need roles, um, like to the truest sense of role players. You know, there's some people who like three on wings. They need anything. They need like a shot. A guy who can score a one-on-one right now is probably the biggest need, which I don't know what position it matters. I don't think it really matters what position they get that at. Uh, And they could even trade back to get like a Josh Christopher because, I mean, as you heard, I think he's a great one-on-one scorer. That would be someone outstanding to get in the mid teens, and then you turn that into more assets. So something like that would be an ideal role, I think, or yeah. ideal
1: draft. Let's say you got one and five. I assume you're taking Kate at one. Who would you take at five? Are you the Kamingas, the consensus fifth guy in this draft, or would you take somebody else if you're if you're drafting for the magic?
2: So huh. Um, that is a very tough question.
1: That's the spot, right? That's the spot where it gets real interesting, in yeah. my opinion. I, this draft is really fun in the top four, but I've been saying that like, I think it gets really fun after the top four.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think I still don't think Jalen Green's necessarily a lock yet uh, okay. into the top four, but I mean, I, I would probably go Kuminga at five, but now there is someone who I would look who is actually my fifth-ranked player who's not in the consensus necessarily in the top ten yet. Uh, I would get James Booknight and not think twice. I I genuinely think he has the highest offensive upside. Uh, Not the most realistic, but he does have the highest offensive upside in the class. His his scoring ability, his shot creation, his athleticism, his potential as a potential combo guard. Uh, Not much of a playmaker, but enough of a playmaker. I think offensively he's just too gifted to pass up on.
1: I love it. I, I love the James Knight. you were the one that kind of got me started on him. And, you know, he's it's going to be interesting. I, I'm just excited for that part. You brought up scoring with James Booknight. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Steph Curry, who outside of Detroit is my favorite player. Um, he's one of my favorite players of all time. I think he's, he, he's just he, – I told you earlier in the episode I love shooters. And he went on, you know, to be a little bit corny here, he went on a, on a magical – stretch here for a little while, just shooting the lights out. Um, I just want to get, I put a couple questions in there, Richard. We don't have to stick to that. The legacy top, whatever player of all time. We don't have to stick to that. I just would like to hear your take on that. He broke Kobe's record for consecutive 30 plus games um, over the age of 33, four out of five games with 10 plus three pointers made and two of them back to back. I think he changed the game, the way the game is played. Not many guys can say that. Um, just, just what do you think about Steph Curry? What's your take on him? And if you want to answer those questions as far as legacy and top, whatever player of all time, you can.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it's kind of funny how much his game changed when Draymond Green came back, um, that combination, I I really think people underestimate how much Draymond Green makes Steph Curry that much better. And that's not a knock on Steph. It's just, I mean, it, it elevates Steph from a very good, great player. To an elite player. And it's it's unreal. They feed off each other so much. Having in that arguably the best shot creating shooter uh ever, if you if you really think about it, uh like that combination of being able to create his own shot and three point shooting, just because he's so you know the best three point shooter ever. Yeah. Um, that's an elite combo. So I I am still on the train where I think Bradley Beal wins the scoring title. Uh, which sure. has been the most, the best thing Steph has done this year is open that discussion, even though I really haven't seen it that much. Like Bradley Beal's averaging 31 on almost 50% shooting. <laughs> Not that Steph is like so far off. He's averaging 31 on 49% shooting. Also they're both within like a percentage and a half. Like that's just unreal. The the scoring era we are in where two guys yes. are 30 points on almost 50% as guards.
1: Yeah. They, The shooting Uh, i tell people this all the time Uh, let's dive into this a little bit i i argue with people all the time that team that players try to play defense in the nba i'm not saying they're like just going crazy can you imagine how hard it is to guard in modern day nba like most of the time you have five dudes on the floor that can hit a three or drive or do something like the skill set is just incredible and they're so athletic they're so long they're so quick I just don't know how you guard these guys like would you agree with that or do you think guys just don't really defend like to me it's just analytics has has played a huge part in this the skill level the skill development not pigeonholing a seven footer and he has to go to the block (laughs) you know like with kevin durant what would kevin durant people look at him so funny you know 20 years ago what, what's kind of your feel on that? Because this is what I'm talking about with Steph kind of changing the game. And it hasn't just been him, but just the way the game has changed in general.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, the freedom of movement rule was pretty much inspired by oh, Steph Curry. Yes. That's been a huge yeah. thing. Uh, you really can't touch defenders or offensive players anymore. Now, that being sure. said, I think defense on ball, uh, there's a couple of things. Defensive on ball, uh, on ball defense, excuse me, has just been incredible over the last three years it's just the offense has gotten even better than the defense (laughs) and then also team defense the wave of team defense has been such a crazy wave where sure you can guard a guy one-on-one but if you can't rotate right it's almost worse than being able than being a liability one-on-one so those few things like those three combos have made scoring just absolutely skyrocket
1: yeah that's that's a great point that's a great before we move on um because I want to get into just the eastern western conference talk just a little bit I put a poll out here um, a few days ago. I actually stole the question, I think, from uh, Jay Will and Zubin, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. But who's, if, if you had to name the second greatest three-point shooter, not shooter, three-point shooter specifically of all time, Clay actually won the poll, Ray was second, Reggie Miller was third. So after Steph Curry, who, who do you think is the second greatest three-point shooter of all time?
2: Well, it's definitely one of those three. I probably go... I mean, just purely three point shooting, it's so hard not to say clay because those other guys, because if you think about like if you put all the other guys in there in clay's role, though, as a three point shooter, it might be a different answer. It's just so hard to judge it because the scoring load and responsibility and just the tiredness of shooting, like shooting takes a lot of energy. People don't realize that they think it's the most effortless thing. But you watch the three point contest, for example, by the time you get to the last rack, that is exhausting. That is absolutely exhausting to shoot for a minute straight nonstop. Uh, yep. that is, that is something that I think is severely underrated, but you know, what else is also exhausting is having to be a three level score and be the primary offensive option. Clay never really had to do both of those things at the same time. So it's easier for him to get that, which I, that sounds like I'm discounting him, which I'm not trying to at all. But, um, I, I just, I really do think that if you put everyone in the same role, it'd be Ray Allen, but knowing what we know, it's Clay Thompson.
1: Awesome. I I would personally go Ray Allen, but I think you make a great point that it probably is Clay if you really look at the heart of the question. Um, but I, I like the point you bring up about those other guys having to play those different roles. I, I think what you brought up with Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry just talk. I, I think now the the greatest five, the, the the Detroit Pistons champion, most recent championship team, I think was maybe the best accumulation, like best constructed team, by top to bottom. Five. Top you know bottom. what I mean? But the Golden State Warriors, like, those guys fit perfectly together.
2: Yeah. I mean, they made an entire killing off of being deep. I mean, that was their thing. Uh, what was it in the in their first year? Numbers, uh, strength and numbers, right? And then they kind yeah. of abandoned it for Kevin Durant, which, like, rightfully so. They won two championships out of it. But, sure. uh, I mean, yeah, those any of those three championship years, I think you could argue – is the most dominant team we've seen in a very long time, because the win loss necessarily doesn't reflect it outside of the year, you know, where they went 73 and nine, but like the Kevin Durant years were probably even better just because of, in terms of just upside, every single game, it was probably the highest upside team we've ever seen.
1: Yep. Yep. So, um, speaking of regular season and then moving into the playoffs, now that we're just a few games away from the playoff starting, I want to talk about the number of real contenders in each conference. So let's just start with the East here, Richard. And... We don't, you don't have to dive into every team. We don't have to get super specific. You can just give a little point on each one. But how many real contenders to win the NBA championship, or let's just say to make it out of the East, how many real contenders to make it out of the Eastern Conference do you see?
2: Three. It's the top three. Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, they all have their superstars. I. It's probably mostly Brooklyn and Philly. Uh, well, I, I think there's equal opportunity for Philly and Milwaukee, but I don't think there's any other argument for anyone else.
1: I agree i agree 100 i think barring injury those are gonna you'll see some combination of those three um playing in the eastern conference championship uh real quick if you saw a surprise so let, let's just say i told you it's a surprise team outside of those three makes a run to the eastern conference finals or to the nba championship who would that be
2: boston i'm not doubting jaylen brown and jason tatum and brad Stevens.
1: I love Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens is one of my favorite coaches. I put that Twitter, I put that poll out as well about college coaches. I had him, Mark Few, and uh, Scott Drew. And I was surprised Brad Stevens actually, they all ended up kind of similar, but I I was surprised Brad Stevens didn't get more love. It was was for a college job, a random college job. Um, But I've always loved what Brad Stevens did ever since his time at Butler. Um, What about the Knicks? I mean, the Celtics have had a lot of injuries, so I'm not saying your answers, I'm not discounting your answer, but what do you think about the Knicks just in general?
2: I think they're kind of, I hate saying lucky because I'm going to sound like a bitter Mavs fan, (laughs) which I'm not, but I I think they got very fortunate to be healthy uh, because health matters in this league. You know, the teams with the most consistent starting fives end up being playoff teams and Julius Randle has been magnificent and Tom Thibodeau has been a great coach. But I just don't know how their game translates to the playoffs. So I'm, I'm just hesitant on that. But I'm not ever going to discount what they've done in this regular season. They've fully earned every ounce of respect for the regular season.
1: Yeah, they've been incredible. Julius Randle's been incredible. Vlad said months ago, a couple months ago, he thought you know he should be in the MVP conversation. Uh, I laughed at him. And- now I'm the one that that should be. I don't think he has a legit chance to be MVP, but he I would not be surprised if he gets some votes. He's had a great year um, for the New York Knicks. So... And I think I've, I think the injuries. I, I hate to say this, but I think it's going it, to it's, it's played a huge part of the regular season. It's already derailed one team. In my opinion, we'll see what you think as I ask this question. I think that's going to be a huge part of what we see in the playoffs. Um, so as we talk about injuries, and, and you know, one major one in the West, and some other teams dealing with some quote unquote minor ones, who do you see? How many contenders do you see in the West?
2: Yeah, I think in the West that number is quite larger. I think you have the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, and Jazz. I don't. I don't think the Nuggets are anymore. I think I'm assuming that's who the um, the injury yeah. team was. I knew it was Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray. Yeah, Jamal Murray. Yeah, I, I don't see the Nuggets as it anymore. That's just too big of a piece to lose. So I I would say what is that five Lakers or four? Yeah, the two LA teams basically Utah and then the Mountain West. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's, and that's what we had we the same answer on this as well that it would be the Lakers, the Clippers, the Jazz, and the Suns. I think, you know, if you keep the, you know, if Jamal Murray doesn't get hurt, I think the Nuggets obviously have a chance there. I'm really interested um, to see what Jokic does. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how much better he is on the floor with Jamal Murray without Jamal Murray, which makes sense, but it'll be interesting to see if he raises his game to another level. Um, so far, it seems like he's going to, and I think he can cement his MVP candidacy, uh, as you say, as you want to call it, um, here throughout the rest of the regular season. I, I have kind of a hot take, I guess, and I think I don't think all four of those teams are going to make it to the semifinals. Do you see any first-round upsets?
2: Yep. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. It wouldn't shock me if um, the seven seed does some damage because I, I just I feel like when you get momentum like that. I think it really does wonders, especially if you're the 10 seed playing the – or what is it? If you get the 7 seed, however you get the 7 seed, because you would have to win, I guess, a couple games. Just one. Just one. Oh, like, say you're the underdog though, right? Like, because yeah. it's so oh. deep. Like, oh, like, oh, I
1: see you. I got you. Say yeah. the
2: Warriors get hot. I would not want to face a hot Warriors team. Even though they have so many flaws, I would not want to face a hot Warriors team.
1: Okay. So, before I let you go though, what about your Dallas Mavericks? Because, so, <laughs> I am I, – I picked Luka Doncic to be the MVP before the season so and I actually had the Mavericks finishing third in the West before the season so I need them to make a little bit of a run here Richard to make me not look like you know I was way off is there any chance right now they they're the sixth they played the Clippers first round is there a good first round matchup for the Mavs is there any excuse me chance whatsoever that they could you know steal a first round series? The
2: only chance is denver uh and without murray i think they would get lucky with that my problem with dallas this year is the roster isn't that good uh you look at luca porzingis jalen brunson um and throw in a ring it's it's just been brutal josh richardson's been very bad this year for relative to standards um it's just the talent isn't that good it's not a team that should be winning playoff series now that being said lebron carried bad teams to the finals and like to playoff wins. So Luca very well couldn't. He took somehow the last year's team to six games to the Clippers, um, which I think still underperformed in the bubble, obviously. Yeah. But my thing with them is just like the numbers are all pretty positive for the Mavs, but the eye test just does not match it in any way. It goes the opposite on the eye test.
1: Yeah. I'm with you, man. Like I I was, I was very high on them. I didn't like the Seth Curry trade. I, I think you would agree that they tried to resurrect that or fix that with the JJ Redick trade and realize they needed that shooting. Um, I don't know if you think that trade was bad or not bringing in Josh Richardson, but I just love Luca so much. I think I just love his game. I, I just think it's so impressive how he gets, what he gets done, how he gets it done. And he doesn't do it with overwhelming quickness or physicality or, or anything like that. So um, I I just can't jump off that bandwagon yet with, with Luca and the Mavs.
2: Yeah, I mean, Luka is a generational player, and you hope generational talent can bring uh, wins, playoff wins and stuff. A lot of people blame Carlisle. There's really nothing else he can do. They want him to play rookies, but I think we talked about this. Rookies are generally losing players. Um, That's been his biggest flaw. So, I don't know. I I think it's just they need better talent. I wasn't a big fan of of the Seth Curry trade. I liked the idea to get defense, but not how they did it.
1: Yeah, sure. All right, well, Richard, thank you so much for joining me this week and, and jumping on the Motor City Hoops uh, show. Um, I'm sorry Vlad wasn't here to able to join us. I'm sure he'll listen in. Guys, if you're listening, make sure you check out Richard at Mavs Draft. Um, he's on the Mavs Draft podcast. Go check that out. He does work for Locked On NBA Draft. If, if you want anything, NBA, basketball, but definitely NBA Draft as we're getting closer, make sure you're following this guy on Twitter. Richard, I don't know if you have Facebook or Instagram where they can catch you as well.
2: Um, honestly, just mostly on Twitter. Twitter is my, uh, my main source of attack. Okay.
1: <laughs> go, go it, it's a must follow on Twitter, like I say, for NBA Thank content you. or NBA Draft. Um, I go to him for anything. If I have a question, um, hopefully we can have him on again. Make sure you follow us, Motor City Hoops, Motor City Hoops uh, pod on Instagram, Motor City Hoops on Facebook, and continue to listen, like, subscribe, interact. Let us know how you thought this went, and uh, we appreciate you listening. Thank you again, Richard, for joining the show. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Motor City Hoops podcast. Catch you on the next one.